Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Welcome to 2022, everybody, even if I say the sports calendar doesn't reset till after the Super Bowl. It's a new year, and BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best wagering action in the new year. You can sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the promo code BLEAVE. B-L-E-A-V, when you sign up with the link in the description to this episode. Bet online, where the game starts. Good afternoon or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy Podcast Live. On the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is February 3rd, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is you are stopping in. 850 plus episodes here on the Take It Easy Podcast, and we are still going strong every single day, Monday through Friday, wired up on Sundays, at least for another week or so until we stop doing wired ups for a little bit. And of course, our double podcasts on Monday that have been coming at you. Morgan from Australia is here for a little bit today. We got a nice little podcast coming in here on a Thursday with our great friend. Please check out all of her stuff, Lauer After Hours, um, just follow her Twitter. 2,000 people would be really sad if you don't follow her Twitter because it's very good. Uh, we love Morgan. Shout out, Lebitard Show, hashtag Barty Party. That'll make more sense coming up later. But first, you guessed it, more Brian Flores talk. We talked about Brian Flores yesterday on the podcast for the entire podcast because this might be a story that comes to define a generation of football. Generations are usually every five years, so I think that the uh, timing on Colin Kaepernick has mounted. Colin Kaepernick is now six years removed from the NFL at this point, so this is a generational story in the NFL, and I want to keep talking about this because the thing we talked about yesterday was the macro-level conversation about white power and white power systems in America and the idea that John Elway is part of the problem because John Elway has white privilege. He benefits from a system and with that power is not doing enough to try and undo the white power system. Therefore, John Elway is a product of the white power system and is part of the problem. We talked about that yesterday. Check that out. Not much has changed in the day since, although there's so much more we can unpack and I'd like to do it with smart people here. I want to see if Joe Camo, sociology professor who we talked to back in October... He's going to come back. It wants to come back and do a podcast like this. We'll check in there in a little bit uh, and bring in other people to talk about this. But the thing I wanted to talk about today that's kind of changed in like the daily cycle part, and it's an interesting point that I think I want to talk about as more of an A block here, is Brian Flores doing the rounds in media today and going on CNN and going on Get Up on ESPN and CBS this morning. Brian Flores did the rounds through New York in-person interviews being shoveled, shuffled, not shoveled, shuffled from place to place to do interviews today. And I found it really fascinating that Brian Flores went on the tour because I was listening to his lawyer talk uh, yesterday, or I guess today, but you're listening to this on Thursday, so yesterday. And they made clear that the smear campaign done by Stephen Ross and the Miami Dolphins in the aftermath of him being fired, calling him the angry coach who they didn't want to work with, which, by the way, we're learning now the angry coach situation seems to be in part because Brian Flores refused to go along with the wink-wink-nod-nod system. Like when David Cully was hired, and David Cully 
and is the person who's taking one of the worst job offers in the NFL. That's the wink, wink, nod, nod situation that um, that you're going to get fired after a year. You are 66 years old. You have never been a coordinator. You are funding your retirement with the Houston Texans. And so they went through that process, fired Cully after a season, got $22 million for that one year. And so Flores wasn't willing to go along with the, we are here to intentionally lose games. That is why you got this job in the first place. As a 37-year-old black man, when black coaches rarely ever get head coaching jobs, this was a tweet that I saw um, that, I mean, it's from Dexo Boomin on Twitter, but this is the list of black head coaches in the history of the NFL. In one tweet, Art Shell, Dennis Green, Ray Rhodes, Tony Dungy, Hall of Famer, Herm Edwards, Marvin Lewis, Lovey Smith, Romeo Cornell, Mike Tomlin, Mike Singletary, Jim Caldwell, Raheem Morris, Leslie Frazier, Todd Bowles, Anthony Lynn, Vance Joseph, Steve Wilkes, Brian Flores, David Culley. That is the entire list of black head coaches in the NFL. 18 in 40 years, because 40 years before that, they just weren't allowing any black coaches to coach in the NFL. You have 18 across 40 years. That is an average of about a half a coach every year. If you assume the average tenure is three years, that means two coaches at any given point. Right now, there's currently one, and it's Mike Tomlin. But the thing that's more fascinating about that is, if you look at the ones post-Mike Tomlin, so Mike Tomlin was hired in 2006 as the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. By the way, the only organization that has a white guy that doesn't run its team like a white billionaire. A white billionaire with the Rooney family that does not run their team like a bunch of white billionaires. So the one exception being the Steelers, who with a really great situation coming off of a Super Bowl title with a quarterback in his third year who would go on to make the Hall of Fame, the Steelers hired a black coordinator as their head coach. And since then, if you go down the list of coaching candidates, you have Jim Caldwell, who in a similar vein was hired to replace Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy, black head coach, ends up being replaced by black head coach Jim Caldwell. That's what progress starts to look like. And Jim Caldwell inherited Peyton Manning and made a Super Bowl with the Indianapolis Colts before it all fell apart when Peyton Manning's neck got injured. So in the aftermath of those players, or in the aftermath of Mike Tomlin and Jim Caldwell, if you look at the coaching candidates that are on here, the most recent hires have almost unanimously been coaches who were hired to similar situations like Brian Flores, which is only the worst of the worst job offers are being accepted by the black head coaching candidates. Raheem Morris, 2008, hired by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a team that was designed to intentionally lose football games. They ended up having a good season after John Gruden got fired. But John Gruden, champion coach, falls to 5-11, and gets fired. They hire Raheem Morris. Leslie Frazier coached a bunch of years with the Vikings, and I do not like him because of what he did to our friend Chris Cluey. If you don't know the story about that, that uh, Chris Cluey was outspoken about legalizing gay marriage and that ended up as the punter of the Minnesota Vikings and then ended up getting cut by Leslie Frazier and Rick Spielman, despite the fact that he was top 15 in the sport because he was close enough to the margin that the speaking out about gay marriage thing and being on Ellen and going on CBS this morning was enough that it was enough that the Vikings didn't want that around. And a special teams coach that said, <laughs> I mean, I hate repeating it, but it's incredible sometimes how homophobia can be funny that he would round up all of the gays put them on an island and nuke it until it glows that is a real thing that happened that man not only coached the browns in a playoff game last year when stefanski got covid he coached them again this year in the last game of the season when kevin stefanski had covid so that situation with leslie frazier todd bulls anthony lynn Anthony Lynn gets hired by the Chargers as the transitional coach. This is the Chargers firing Mike McCoy and moving to Los Angeles. Then they hire Anthony Lynn, which again, the team still had talented players. They'd missed the playoffs three years in a row. They still had relatively talented players, but Anthony Lynn got a job that nobody wanted. That team leaving San Diego, not a desirable job. 
Vance Joseph. Vance Joseph was one case where Vance Joseph did get hired by the Denver Broncos coming off of Gary Kubiak walking away. The problem is just that Vance Joseph is shit as a football coach. His problem was that he wasn't good as a coach, but he did get the Denver Broncos job. And then it brings me to the next three, uh, because the other one that's not in here is Hugh Jackson also. Hugh Jackson, Steve Wilkes, Brian Flores, David Culley. You could argue over the past five to six years, the four worst job openings in the NFL were Arizona Cardinals under Steve Wilkes, that one year that they drafted Josh, they traded up to get Josh Rosen, went 3-13, and 32nd ranked offense in the NFL, fired Wilkes, never heard from again. Hugh Jackson, he talked about on Twitter uh, yesterday, which is today when I'm recording this, but yesterday he talked about on Twitter when someone mentions that the Browns weren't paying him $100,000 per loss, his response is, Oh, the offer was quite nice, my friend. That the Browns did make him and Sashi Brown and other members of the team offers of compensation in an effort to lose games and acquire higher draft picks, which, by the way, is an effective strategy. Like, we talk about this with tanking. This is the more, you know, micro-level thing than the macro about white power in America. But the more micro-level thing about tanking in sports is... Tanking is not a player's and coach's prerogative. Tanking is an organizational philosophy. It's general managers that orchestrate tanking. And it's owners that orchestrate tanking. But ultimately, they, the, the most effective form of tanking is to put players that aren't good on the floor. When the Sixers went through their process, um, they just fielded basically a G League team for two, three seasons. And that was their way to acquire the top picks. The Browns did something similar where Duke Johnson and Christian Kirksey were their best players for most of the stretch. The fact that they were, they set up a tanking strategy quite well, and Hugh Jackson was also offered money for losses that I assume he ultimately declined. So that was, a you know, the Browns' worst football team of the last 20 years in football. Arizona Cardinals, one year, worst team in the NFL, roster totally barren of talent, number one pick in the draft, fire Steve Wilkes. Brian Flores, asked in 2019 to lose, has a good season, next year has a great season, and all of a sudden he's gone 500 in two years, and the Dolphins don't have the leeway to fire him. David Culley never had a fair shot. It was, again, the Houston Texans coming off of the 4-13 season with Deshaun Watson wanting a trade, J.J. Watt getting cut, one of the worst situations, as bad as that Cleveland Browns team, as bad a situation as the Cleveland Browns. Yes, they only got the number three pick in this year's draft, but that's more semantics because the Jaguars were the Jaguars, and Urban Meyer got swallowed by this thing too because Urban Meyer was just a bad coach. David Culley never got a fair shot. Urban Meyer was just a bad coach. Vance Joseph was just a bad coach with the Denver Broncos in that way. But the point is, post-Anthony Lynn, which is five years ago, No black coaches have been hired for legitimate job opportunities. It has been the four worst possible job offers in the NFL. And this is where these things work in cycles. And in America, where Donald Trump gave people the the privilege and willingness to go without shame in their racism and bigotry, in that world, white billionaires have also been granted the lack of shame because they learn that society is going to enable them Shame was always guiding them, if, if nothing else for the money part of it, shame was always a guiding principle for owners to not do shitty things like what ended up happening um, with Dan Snyder and company. Shame was always some level of a motivator. And once you realize that shame isn't there and people, again, the Washington football team, after everything that happened with the Washington football team, number one selling jersey on Fanatics. Number one, number two, and number three highest selling jerseys on Fanatics are the new Washington racial slurs jerseys. I know I know they have a team name now, but as long as Dan Snyder's there, I'm still going to call them the racial slurs. Washington racial slurs, new team, new jerseys, immediately sells massive commerce for the NFL, which is, I mean, frankly insulting that people would do that, but I understand the fandom. It's not a judgment part of it. It just offends my sensibilities. My sensibilities are not other people's sensibilities, and it's, you know, offensive that they would sell that many jerseys immediately afterwards, that people would continue to 
financially support that team and that people would continue to financially support problematic teams in this way and we do this all the time like all of this works on the margins right like if we are like me passionate about sports and football is king sport in america i can't do this without being adept at football and being able to talk about football but all of this is a good with the bad right like i'm willing to compromise principles on that i was thinking about this with the olympics and you know whatever brian flores's morals are whatever point that is but the thing i was thinking about with the olympics is i'm not going to watch any of the winter olympics but I don't watch the Olympics in the first place. I have other issues about the Olympics, about hijacking it and what being patriotic means now in America. The same reason I'm not as cool with the 4th of July as I used to be is because now the the I, people I don't agree with um, using it as propaganda use the Olympics and sport as propaganda when we drape it in the flag combined with the, the all of the stuff around China, whether it's prison camps and labor camps in China, or whether it's the lack of human rights for the people of China, or the fact that Americans going to China are being told do not make stances and do not make political statements on the podium or during your time because you could face consequences of the Chinese government and the willingness to compromise all of our morals is something that it's gross to me. But in the grand scheme of my narcissism, it's not something that's going to swing my decision-making unless it's on the margins. I'm willing to make the sacrifice of not financially supporting NBC through their Olympic coverage and not watching any of the Olympics because I don't want to support that. But I didn't want to support it in the first place. And this is the thing that pushed me away from the Olympics. All of this stuff that we've talked about over the past few days, it's not going to deter any real meaningful impact in the financial bottom line of the NFL. As we're seeing, two years of negative, well, 20 years, but two years of negative publicity for the Washington football team, release new jerseys, immediately everyone buys them, and or at least the highest selling jerseys in the NFL. And so the Washington football team gets that leverage and people are still going to watch the Super Bowl in that way and people are still going to financially support the NFL no matter what their hiring practices are. And because the NFL has that king sport and because it's a sport run by white people and white power, um, I know that there are two non-white owners in the NFL, but these are the only two non-white owners in the 103-year history of the NFL until Shad Khan, until eight years ago, until eight years ago, there had never been a non-white owner in the NFL, and the only white women were the widows and spouses of white men who had bought the teams in the first place and were previously the controlling owners of the team. So only white men for for a hundred years have run NFL teams, and 95% of people in executive positions in the NFL are white. I believe there's now four black general managers two black presidents of nfl teams they're kind of equivalent roles sometimes but um you see white men and i no latino no asian general managers in the nfl no women general managers and presidents in the nfl only white men with the occasional black men that are in positions of power 95 percent white coaching ranks leadership positions of sorts 97 percent white the only two exceptions to the rule, Mike Tomlin, who, again, hired by the only franchise, the successful franchise that runs their team by a white billionaire, not run like a white billionaire. And on the flip side, the Ron Rivera situation, which Ron Rivera took a job originally with the Carolina Panthers that had the number one pick in the draft the first year that he got hired. And they happened to get generational talent cam newton with the number one pick and all that bought him was a second chance at coaching with the shitty washington football team and so only mike tomlin and ron rivera break the system on this is the most successful of successful coach non mike tomlin category hall of fame coach mike tomlin and ron rivera get the chance to coach other uh, to be non-white guys getting second third chances rotated through the cycles and only and no one else gets another chance like as we talked about here and and one of the things brian flores is bringing up in his lawsuit is 
Brian Flores, Steve Wilkes, Hugh Jackson, David Culley are the last black head coaches in the NFL, and every single one did not have a chance. Their prerogative was lose. And when you when your prerogative is lose, you have already failed in your job. Brian Flores could not have done any better with the Miami Dolphins. We talked about this when he got fired. Could not have done any better, and it didn't matter. Because if you're not one of the seven elite coaches in the NFL, your job is entirely disposable. 18 different coaches have been hired in the past three years. When it's all going to be said and done, 18 different coaches have been hired over the past three years in the NFL. Some some teams have done multiple searches. The Jaguars, the Texans, the Jets. Uh, not, yeah, the Jets, the Giants have done multiple head coaching hires. But the point still is your jobs are totally disposable if you are not great and you don't inherit a great situation. Even the disposable jobs are being taken by just a pool of white candidates who, in the case of Arthur Smith, gets an in, uh, an entry-level position in the NFL because his father owns the Washington football team, is the founder of FedEx, billionaire, owns the uh, partial owner of the Washington football team. That's his entrance into the sport. Kyle Shanahan, we know what his entrance into the sport is. McVay, we know what his in, uh, entrance into the sport is. His dad was also a former coach. Nathaniel Hackett, father is a former coach. You have some sort of connection to get into the industry because it's a super-duper desirable closed-off business. There's only so many quality control coaches that can be hired and promoted through the ranks. And so even the black players who end up becoming coaches, because of all of the people on here, very few ever played, or ever very few did not, not play in the NFL. And we see even those who get through the ranks only get hired in low-level positions. And this is the point that Brian Flores is articulating, is that he knows that all of this is going to be... Uh, I mean, we've known for years all of this is going to be a sham. Hugh Jackson came to his defense on Wednesday. Marvin Lewis came to his defense on Wednesday when he went on Get Up and talked about how it was announced that John Fox was going to be the coach of the Panthers in 2002, I want to say, but they asked him to go in for an interview anyways as defensive coordinator of the Ravens. And he went through the interview, and on Friday they hired John Fox. And that was the same process that's gone on for 20 years, the solution would be people, you know, dismantle white power, of course, and that's more macro-level conversation. The tanking conversation is fascinating because when your prerogative is to lose, white coaches can look up and say, why would I want that job? And by the way, I have assumed Eric Bieniemy is in that privileged position as well. When when the Houston Texans go out looking for air, for head coaching candidates, I'm like, Eric Bieniemy's too good for that. When the Eagles were looking for head coaching candidates last year, I'm like, Eric Bieniemy is too good for that job. Bears, Giants this year, too good for that job. Eric Bieniemy is too good to take that job. Uh, Houston Texans again this year, it's still available. Eric Bieniemy is too good for that job. This is an, an indictment of the hiring process in the NFL is that nobody should take those jobs unless you're in it for the paycheck. Maybe you turn it around, but even if you do the best you possibly can, Brian Flores still gets fired after three years. Maybe you luck into getting a franchise quarterback and you get to be one of the exceptions to the rule, like Zach Taylor. You get to be one of the exceptions to the rule of guys whose jobs are totally interchangeable. But even then, eventually Zach Taylor's going to get fired because we know he's not a good coach. Cliff Kingsbury's got the generational quarterback in Arizona. He's on the hot seat. No question Cliff Kingsbury's on the hot seat. Mike McCarthy got it in Dallas. He's on the hot seat. Staley Staley spent one year as a coordinator in the NFL, and immediately Brandon Staley got the best available head coaching opening of the past five years, and Staley is going to end up being on the hot seat if the Chargers don't produce results. This is the game. This is the game that alternates over and over again because white power wants to hire white power and maintain and uphold the structure that they have existed. This is what structural institutional racism is, is John Elway gets John Elway. I mean, we talked about it yesterday, so this is kind of rehashing it a bit. John Elway benefits from structural racism 
because John Elway happens to be the person in position of power. And with his power, John Elway maintains and upholds the structural, the structural racist system in the NFL. John Elway hired Vance Joseph. And John Elway still is the person maintaining and upholding this structure. Because John Elway has also hired a white general manager when he became president and now de facto owner of the Broncos. He hired Vic Fangio immediately after. Hired Kyle, uh, hired, uh, what's his name? Pat Shermer as offensive coordinator for the Denver Broncos. Fired both of them. Hired Nathaniel Hackett, another white guy, who hires Clint Kubiak as his quarterback's coach and passing game coordinator, another white guy. The cycle keeps happening over and over and over and over again, even if the one exception for John Elway is he gave Vance Joseph a chance and Vance Joseph was a terrible coach. And Vance Joseph only got two years also. In fairness, Anthony Lynn got four years with the Chargers, and he is even an exception to this rule because Anthony Lynn... His offensive game ended up wearing out in the NFL real quick, just like Lovey Smith. Lovey Smith made a Super Bowl with the Bre- with the Bears, got a second chance with the Bucks, and he he aged out of the sport so quickly because he wasn't one of those generationally great coaches and coached at a time where we weren't doing the turnover cycle as much with this. But you can just retread body after body, but you're only retreading white body after white body. That's the argument that Brian Flores is making here in this lawsuit. So that's more talk about that. I found it really fascinating. Flores was expected to be a yes man. He refused to be a yes man. And it was like Stephen Ross had been hit across the face with a wet fish. It was like, wait, isn't this how it's supposed to work? Isn't Hugh Jackson supposed to go with the tank? Isn't David Cully supposed to go along with the tank? You know, is, aren't these guys signing up to get fired afterwards? Aren't they just in it for the paycheck? Can't we just throw money at them and they'll, you know, they're desperate? This happens only with black coaches when you can't hire any other white guy. Houston did it three times in one year. Scandal-ridden A.J. Hinch leaves. Let's go hire a black guy in Dusty Baker who nobody was talking about hiring. Nobody was talking about hiring Dusty Baker. Let's go get the black guy. Houston uh, Rockets. James Harden wants to leave. Mike D'Antoni walked away. Go hire a black guy. Steven Silas. Black nepotism, too, by the way, with Steven Silas. And the Houston Texans. Our quarterback wants out. Our franchise is falling apart. We're going to go 8-25 and and gave away all our draft picks for Laramie Tunsil and gave away J.J. Watt for free and DeAndre Hopkins for free to the Cardinals and our quarterback wants to leave. Go hire a black guy, fire him after a year, and then we'll go hire Josh McCown, who has never been a head coach once in his life, has never even been a coordinator in the NFL. But he went to high school with Nick Casario. And that is how structural racism perpetuates itself across the NFL and across America at large. And so that's the argument Brian Flores is trying to get a class action lawsuit for and is willing to sacrifice in the name of progress. And like we talked about yesterday, carrying the torch ever so slightly, even if the collateral damage is his career might be over. Because this is the thing that I would say if I were in a position of power like a white owner. I would create a shield around Brian Flores. First of all, I would hire Brian Flores to my team. Um, I know the NFL might have like a wink, wink, nod, nod ultimatum because all the white owners walk in unison on these issues. If you're the Steelers, you have a unique position to hire Brian Flores here. You have an absolutely unique position to hire Brian Flores as a linebackers coach, associate head coach, defensive coordinator even. You have a really fascinating situation to hire Brian Flores here. Maybe while it's pending litigation, probably not. But as soon as litigation gets resolved, someone should hire Brian Flores. And not only should someone hire Brian Flores, someone should hire Brian Flores and put their name behind. We saw an absolute, absolutely astounding showing of leadership by Brian Flores. And we feel that that is the type of person that we want as a member of our organization. That is what I would stand up and say if I were in a position of power and, you know, in an idealized world. Not saying this to virtue signal at all. Just saying it in the idea of this, if I were viewing this, I would want Brian Flores as a leader because it takes a lot to do that. Brian Flores' intentions may not be pure altogether. Like I'm sure 
Brian Flores is putting on the purity cap of freedom fighter um, in a way that maybe he wouldn't if he had been offered the the Houston Texans job or if he had been hired uh, as or I mean even if Deshaun Watson and him were linked together as a pairing we're going to talk about that in a sec with Morgan from Australia but maybe his intentions aren't the purest but even still this is a sport where he should be commended for that but the white power structure doesn't want to have the negative PR of Brian Flores doing that. So I would I would want to put him in a legitimate leadership position if I were an organization. That's the type of person that I know is a strong leader. Maybe the results haven't shown that he's this amazing coach, but you don't need an amazing coach to be a coordinator. There aren't enough good head coaches in the NFL. So if you have disposable, interchangeable coordinators, I would absolutely want Brian Flores in, on my coaching staff if I were running a team. Um, the Steelers are in a unique position. I'm, it's not that this, it's the Steelers' burden to do this, but I think the Steelers are the one team that, as I talked about, they're run by a white billionaire, but he doesn't run the team like a white billionaire more than the other people on the team. I, I might be giving the Roonies too much credit on that, but the Roonies at least show signs that they don't run the team the same way. They, they, they're they susceptible to a lot of it because the NFL is a corporation and they are a piece of this corporation. But at the same time, they they run their sport, I'm sorry, they run their team slightly differently than everyone else. Just slightly differently. Not like a total white guy. They are the, the example of people who, they are the example of, how white people can change without having to get white people out of positions of power. The easiest way, hire black men, hire black women, hire Latino men, hire Afro-Latino men like Brian Flores, hire LGBTQ plus people as coaches and in positions of power, specifically as in front office roles. Um, hire religious minorities. Like, I mean, Robert Sala is an example of this. Robert Sala is the first Muslim head coach in the NFL. Hire religious minorities in positions of power in the NFL. If you get different perspectives and create repercussions for the consequences of people in power, that's when you're going to see natural change. Might not be as fast or slow as some people want it to be, but that's where you're going to start to see natural changes. Hiring people who don't act, look, and think like you do. And the Steelers have an opportunity here because the Steelers have found a market inefficiency in finding Mike Tomlin, giving him a chance to succeed, and having Mike Tomlin be 49 years old and already a shoe-in for the Hall of Fame. It's the rare exception that proves, well, proves the structural racism, but proves the rule of structural racism, is that exceptions can exist if you don't run your team like a white billionaire. White, straight, male, white billionaire also. Let's throw that in the mix, too. So with that, let us commence with our wonderful friend, Morgan from Australia. More Less Brian Flores talk in this one. Um, but we've done an hour and a half. As I talk about with Morgan, we've done an hour and a half of Brian Flores talk. We, we have bought ourselves a slight bit of leeway to do some laughing and all of the fun shenanigans we like to have with Morgan. We like to have fun here. Did y'all know that the greatest quarterback of all time is not just a goat on the field. He's a goat when it comes to investing. He invests in stocks and crypto and even art with Masterworks. Masterworks is the investing platform that lets you buy shares in art from icons like Picasso, Monet, and Warhol. And when that art sells, you get return on investments as high as 30%. If you want to get priority access with Masterworks today, go to masterworks.art slash believe. Masterworks.art slash believe to start investing in stocks and cryptocurrency and shares in artwork today. You can invest like the goat with Masterworks. See important disclosures at masterworks.com slash disclaimer. Tell me you haven't heard this before. You're sitting in your favorite restaurant, coffee shop. Maybe you're sitting in an airport because your flight's been delayed for an extra hour and a half. You want to use your phone and you want to use your computer, but you're afraid of that public Wi-Fi because you've heard all the stories. Maybe it's happened to you where your data gets hacked your information's out there on the dark web. It's it's scary. It happened to me uh, last year, actually. 
if you want to protect yourself nowadays, it's really important that you get security. And NordVPN has a deal for you today. If you go to nordvpn.com slash believe and use our code BLEAV, you can get 70% off a protection plan with NordVPN for two years with an additional month for free. With a 30-day money-back guaranteed, you are also risk-free if you don't want the service. Sign up today at nordvpn.com slash believe. I love that we have to do old school technology so that I sound like I'm in a, a giant box because I'm uh, using AirPods to record because I have no internet right now. So wow. that's fun. Wow. 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 I'm very excited to be here. I have a, I have a game going on here, so I'm interested to see how long we go through this without you talking about Joe Burrow. Game over. <laughs> I was just half anticipating you would come and be like, hello, hello. Oh my gosh, did you see what happened with Joe Burrow? <laughs> I, I think you would have said it. And if you didn't, well, let me tell you, I was right again. Yep, I know. I get to be wrong again. I know, I know, oh. I know. All he does is win. It's just sort of, except when he doesn't, you know, except except when he doesn't win. But all he does is win. Win, win, no matter what. What a great what a great time to be alive. Honestly. Yeah. What a great time to be alive, huh? It's yeah. middle of February. Apparently we have six more weeks of winter. Thanks to our buddy Punxsutawney Phil. You know, it's a great time to be alive right now. Does that mean I've got six more weeks of summer? Yeah, exactly. Six six more weeks of summer before you get to fall. I'll take that. I do love I do love fall in Melbourne. It's quite nice, but um, we're having a down day at the moment. It's a bit grey, but it's okay. We're going to pick up again for the weekend. Yes, this is not the day to be down. It's a Wednesday. It's like that meme of the person drinking where they're like, sir, it's a Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, we know. But, you know, sometimes we got to sometimes we got to just go into the pounding tequila shots at 10 in the morning on a Wednesday. Sometimes it happens, as Dan likes to say. It's 920 on a Thursday, but I'll (laughs) I'll let you have it. And we're not going to be pounding tequila shots because we're going to play sport in a moment. We're going to play the netball, which is not a great the netball, word. just netball. Jesus, That's... <laughs> we're not going to play the basketball. We're going to play netball. The netball, not yes, the I'm netball, very... just netball. <laughs> Fuck. Now it sounds like you're saying nipple. Netball. <laughs> Look it up. Look it up, people. Look it up in Stugat's fashion. Just look it up. <laughs> Google it. Google it, people. Google it. Um, yeah, uh, I'm distraught by the Chiefs, uh, and I love that Brian Flores is going to hijack the entire Super Bowl week. Those are the two things I can think about only right now. Those are the only things I'm thinking about in the world. Wow. I spent let, three let me years... help you. Let me help you think about other things, like the Cincinnati Bengals playing in the Super Bowl. How exciting. <laughs> I spent three goddamn years crafting an argument that this is the greatest run ever with the Kansas City Chiefs, and it just fell apart in two hours. Two fucking hours is all it took for Joe Burrow. Is that it? Are we done? It's it for this era. I mean, this four-year run, that's a I, – I mean, the Chiefs are going to be good. They're going to win the division nine times in the next ten years, but – they're not going to be as dominant as they were the past few years, just because now there are, there are alternative options to Patrick Mahomes. It's not like it was before where it's like, Oh, Tom Brady is going to win a championship for some godforsaken reason. Like now Joe Burrow's a legitimate alternative while on a rookie contract and Lamar Jackson's a legitimate alternative and Josh Allen's a legitimate alternative. So I think so, now that there are team, there are quarterbacks as good as Patrick Mahomes, it's not going to be as dominant as it was before. They'll win another Super Bowl. Are you serious? There are not quarterbacks as good as like I'm. I'm on. I'm on Joey's side, but there are not quarterbacks as good as Patrick Mahomes. He had a bad day. <laughs> like we're so prone to hyperbole. Like honestly, he had a bad day. Yes, very but... bad. Bad time to have a bad day. 
The thing that I will attest there is you have teams and quarterbacks that are, if you don't have a great quarterback or an Aaron Donald equivalent, which is like having a great quarterback, you've got no chance. But for teams who do have one of those, the margins are way closer than even we like to think. So this was the easiest Super Bowl Kansas City was going to have. Well, maybe not the year that they played the Titans in the AFC Championship, but this was going to be the easiest Super Bowl for the Chiefs. And they blew it. And I'm sad. So does this mean, like, I haven't really looked forward um, to the Super Bowl. Are we able to do that today? Can we talk about this is this is our this is our kicking off of Super Bowl week, right? Are we allowed yeah. to talk about this on this day? I, I feel like am am I allowed to talk about Joe Burrow winning a Super Bowl? Like, am I allowed to do this? And, yeah, you can. The NFL and, wants you to. Certainly, can, the NFL propaganda can I do this? wants you to. Well, they want me to because they want me to talk about anything that isn't Brian Flores. Um, yeah, we we did an hour of Brian Flores yesterday. We did thirty minutes of Brian Flores before this. We're good. We're good. Okay, so is he going to get a job? <laughs> I really want him. I I mean, I don't know what the next like, step is going to look like. I for really him, like but... him at the Saints. <laughs> no, it has to be Dennis Allen. It has to be the guy who has sex in only a visor. We need to be allowed to make those jokes for the next few years until he inevitably gets fired. Okay, whatever. I, I, I'd take <laughs> Dennis Allen. I'd also take Brian Flores. But I, I, don't want one, I don't want the quarterback that comes with Brian Flores, please. Oh, that's the, I think that's out of the question now. Brian Flores wouldn't have done that if he – I don't, I don't even think that was true either. And we also I, couldn't pay that man a dollar. Like, we, we don't have any money. Yeah, I don't think that report ended up being true. Because if that was the truth and they were a tag team, there's no way Brian Flores would have set his reputation on fire in that way. But if he had that in his back pocket, I don't think he would have done it. Maybe, maybe he was standing on principle more, but at the same time, I, I – if he knew he was going to get another job, I think he wouldn't have done this. But maybe, maybe he did. Maybe this was his great revenge. He's like, like, um, you know, everyone was taking shots at him and Stephen Ross smeared him and he did the fake interview process and everyone was kicking him while he was down. He's just like, you know what? Let's just burn it all down. <laughs> Let's just no, screw I'm, you. I'm here for it. Screw them yeah. all down. Yeah, um, to the point now, Saints you think hire Bill, Bill took a lot guy. of pleasure in, in lighting this fire, didn't he? Bill I don't think so. Of, it... He took a lot of pleasure in fucking up Tom's goodbye. Oh, I didn't even think about that. I mean, it would only be better if Tom Brady actually cared. I, You know, secret conspiracy theory, I think Tom Brady is actually cool with this because it, if it, in the pure... If we're if we're being totally tone deaf and purely looking at this as Tom Brady caring about only Tom Brady and how it's perceived, I think he's glad that no one's talking about him. I think Brady's cool just being like, yep, yeah, I'm gone. I'm good. I don't need the retirement tour. I'm good. <laughs> I think he's cool with not being talked about. Um, Belichick, now, Belichick's apparently good friends with Roger Goodell. Fun fact for people who didn't read the Seth Wickersham book like I did. It's a 19-hour audio book. Um, yeah, Bill Belichick's good friends with Roger Goodell. So I think Bill Belichick, this is kind of an unintentionally bad situation for Oops. him. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> anyway, so Joey's going to the Super Bowl. Yes. Yeah, your, your adopted team. I know you're still... Holding on to the Saints, but as I'm, t- I'm telling you, I, I told you last an, week. But you don't have to tell me what to do, right? I, know, I don't. But I don't handle being told what to do. I don't. No, I don't. I'm not a bandwagoner. This is not me. I am an LSU fan. I am a Joe Burrow fan. I am here for the LSU Bengals. I want them to win very badly. If they don't win, you know what that means. Odell Beckham wins. So LSU going to get some going to get some glory out of this, going to get some joy out of this, and I'm excited for it. Yeah, of course. Who wouldn't be excited to watch their favorite player and their favorite team in the Super Bowl? 
Shut up. Not favorite team. Not <laughs> you know, I don't know why you're fighting this one. This is a perfect jumping off point. I'm not Saints like a gonna... San Diego fan that's just like, oh, I get to just change teams all the time because no one cares about me and they leave. Like I, yeah. am, I am a New Orleans Saints fan. That is who I am. I like Joe Burrow more than I like most people in my family, but I am still a New Orleans Saints fan. And they're going to be bad for the next five years. We were joking about that when Sean Payton was still the coach. They are going to be terrible for the next five years. Yeah, I was told uh, they, they were going to be terrible last year too. So I'll just wait and see. They also, also play in a division with other terrible teams now because Tampa Bay, oof. Who's Tampa Carolina? Bay? Carolina. Uh, Carolina. Uh, Carolina's the worst. Uh, Car- like, I, like, for all the Tampa Bay not making the playoffs for 15 years and the Falcons being the Falcons, like, Carolina's the worst out of all of them. Carolina so, is so really New Orleans bad. Is still in, New Orleans will still win the division. Like, yeah, but that's like that one year that the NFC East was like eight and eight. <laughs> like, the winner of the division doesn't belong in the playoffs. Ideally, at this point, I would trade the Arizona Cardinals to the AFC hey, South or the NFC South. You told me that the Bengals didn't belong in the playoffs. As early as December, I did say that. Yes, as early yeah. as December, I said. Can you tell me who's playing in the Super Bowl this week, next week? Uh, that would be Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford and is playing else? in the Super Bowl. Um, and the Cincinnati Von Miller, Bengals. the Cincinnati Bengals, <laughs> who you said didn't belong in the playoffs. So, let's just say I'm not going to be hitching my wagon to. Oh, the Saints are terrible forever. We'll just wait and see. Thanks. Well, what good is coming for the Saints? The one good Michael thing Thomas. you had is gone. <laughs> no, that's a good point. Michael Thomas coming back will make life easier for probably Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston might be there, you idiot. Well, who is going to be there then? Don't know, but let's like he won't be there. How hard is it to? No, things will be it's fine. Probably going to be Jameis. It's well, that's good. Gonna... That's a good result if it's Jameis. Sure, I guess. Unless mm-hmm. you like, you know. Teddy two gloves. Or I love like that. Teddy. Oh, what a nice man. So <laughs> has Joey has Joey elevated himself into the top echelon yet? Or are you still going to say he's not? Joey Burrow? Yeah. Because you said he's Joe like, Bur- what? he's in the second tier. He's, it, when, he's in the second tier. Still no. elite. Still elite, but second so you're not, tier. You're still not putting him in the first tier. No one game could ever do that. For it's me, not one but... game though. Also, by the way, one game. It's not, it's not one game. He had, he, it's not like he has like a coach that's making this happen for him. He is dragging this team single handedly to the Super Bowl. Well, I wouldn't say single handedly, but you know, it's still a fantastic run. And they've also averaged what, like twenty one points a game in the playoffs. You know, it's an average to above average offense that has gotten incredibly with lucky with that an, they played with the an offensive with, with an offensive O line. Yes, I mean. The, the left side's okay. The right side's offensive. Uh, by the way, can, can we talk about how Chris Jones had him wrapped up twice in a sack and he escaped both times? That one was just pathetic. Just. Yeah. Joe Burrow's a winner. That's all. The Kevin man, Clark, actually, I was watching. When the man, a, I, saw, I knew that they win. As soon as I saw him walking in dressed like that, I was like, he wins. Dude wins. <laughs> yeah. What, it's not okay to be that white and have that much swag. Oh. Like, yeah. He challenges everything I know about life. Ugh, yeah, love him. he challenges uh, challenges everything you think about white people. Joe Burrow right. challenges every preconceived notion about white people that exists. No one is ever singing the white guy song to him, ever. No. No, no. I mean, <laughs> someone did, they, I think it was Gridiron Heights made a good joke about that, where he's the swagger, confident guy, and then a white guy comes up. He's like, oh, hello, sir. Great to meet you. My name is Joe Burrow. <laughs> it's great that he can go both sides on this, playing both sides on this one. Yeah. Um, the photo J- of, the, of Joey's dad and Uno's dad having a cigar is just brilliant. That was yeah. so good. It's cheesy and fun, and that's what the Bengals are, right? They're this cheesy, fun team that if they're they young, had to play the Buffalo Bills in the second round, they would have lost. Whatever. They yeah. didn't because the Buffalo no, Bills didn't win. So. Yeah, but the Buffalo Bills and Kansas City Chiefs were both better than the Bengals. They they beat one of them in an all time collapse. If they played the other one in this the other round, like most you don't know that do you don't know that the kid has done nothing but show you that when the lights are on and the pressure is on, that he wins. That is all that this kid has shown you. That 
any time when they dial it up to 11, this kid prevails. Joe Burrow reminds me of And I'm calling a man year. who is 26 a kid. I don't give a shit. He, yeah. he just has that, in, that, that ability to overcome. Joe Burrow. And still, and still be disrespected. <laughs> like, Am I disrespecting him yes. by calling him uh, one of the eight best quarterbacks in the NFL? That doesn't yes. seem disrespectful. But he reminds me of last year's Oklahoma Sooners team. And the joke we had about them was it didn't matter whether they were playing Tulane Kansas or the number one team in the country, they were always going to be up seven points. They could be playing two and 10 Tulane, or they could be playing the university of Texas, or they could be playing. I don't even know who was good in the big 12 last year. There weren't very many. They could be playing Baylor and they're always going to be up seven in the fourth quarter. They can only win by seven points. That's the Bengals. You can play the Raiders. You're going to win by three. You're going to play the Titans. You're going to win by three. You play the chiefs. You're going to win by three. You play you're against the Chiefs, the... you're going to beat them twice because you're better than them. I mean, yes and no. Um, yes, yes, being they won yes, twice. And yes, you, they yes, beat them. Be, yes, twice. being they beat them twice. No, being the Chiefs are so much better than the Bengals. But they're not because they should. if they were better than them, they would beat them. Sure. Yes. One game sample size. Two it's not a one game size. sample size. It's every game that they face them in. They won. <sighs> Yeah, but it took a catastrophic collapse. It I'm doesn't matter. It. it doesn't I'm matter not what it actually took. That. What it took was like not fucking not scoring in the second half, you shit trucks. That's what it took not to just, win. Not took, just not scoring it took in the not second laying half. an egg in a half. If you are so good and you're the best quarterback in the world and you are the offensive, offensive friggin' dynamo, then score. Score a single point. Just one. It's just the exact same thing that happened to Aaron Rodgers a week ago. It's like literally the exact same thing happened over again, where it's like, yeah, your defense held them. How many points did you score? Zero. How many points did you score at the end? Three. You know, Aaron Rodgers' body of work that suggests Aaron Rodgers is great, but happens to everyone. I'm just sad that it happened to this Chiefs team because this was the dynasty run for the Chiefs. The Chiefs are going to be great for 15 years. It's just that this was the best of the best. This was you have Hall of Fame wide receiver and Hall of Fame tight end in their prime. What happens when they're no longer in their prime and Kelsey retires and Tyree Kill retires and retires, you don't goes have... to prison, falls off the face of the planet. I'll smile. <laughs> yeah. One of those I'm, 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 I'm very happy that that man's not going to be enjoying success on Super Bowl Sunday. Who is this again? Tyree Kill. Oh, Tyree Kill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in for the good guys or just the yeah. guys that don't beat up their children and wives. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, found out on the shutdown full cast this week, apparently Tim Tebow's roommate in college, also a murderer. There were two murderers on that university of Florida team. Did not know that. Being um, that close to Tim Tebow will make you murder someone. I'm apparently, I guess that's the lesson that we take away from this. Uh, <laughs> what else you got for Super Bowl week? Super Bowl week coming up between the it? Bengals. <laughs> What do the Rams have to do to beat the Bengals? Tell me what. Well, what is the most important thing the Rams have to do to beat the Bengals? Yeah. So that was <laughs> my my tweet of the week. I think was tweeting that as soon as the game finished. Um, mine was discovering that Wes Welker was on the 49ers as a wide receivers coach. Just watching the game, and I saw the backwards cap. I'm like, is that Wes Welker? I was like, what the hell? Uh, also, Tony Romo, terrible. T- Tony Romo just did a terrible, terrible job at the end of that game. Jim Nance very, had the perfect call, perfect call set up. Said a month ago it would have been improbable. From 31 yards, the Bengals are going to the Super Bowl, and you just got to let it sit. Tony Romo just said 20 seconds of crap after that, and he just got to let it sit, Tony. Just let it sit. It was so perfect. The setup was done so well. The Bengals have this improbable run. Tony Romo ruined the final call. Yeah. It was, yeah, that was bad. But um. But yeah, what's the most important thing the Rams have to do to beat the Bengals? Rush with four, obviously. Yeah, fair enough. Um, they are so screwed. <laughs> a, a, a wise woman once said, "Rush with four." I'm, I'm, I'm very scared that um someone's going to be peeling Joe Burrow off 
off the ground many, many times. <laughs> many, I, many, 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 many times. I like to think <laughs> of it like a Dude Perfect video where they like drop the watermelon from like the 10-story building. That's what I imagine. They yeah. have to do like three takes for it. Um, <laughs> also, it's going to be like the UFC fights where by the time oh, you UFC. get to the... Oh, I'm, a, I'm a UFC pundit. Tell me more. Yes. Um, it, it's like when there's a full UFC, like big fight or whatever they call them, card. Uh, yeah, uh, a card. It's a card. <laughs> whatever they call it's... those things. Um, mm-hmm. And by the time you get to the sixth fight, you're like, oh, that's where that person bled out earlier in the night because the blood stain is still on the is still on the the mat. Yeah. Um, that's kind of what's going to happen here. Where it's like, oh, that's the spot where Joe Burrow bled out after taking a sack from Aaron Donald. <laughs> as, the, as we're going to go on through this, that was sack number six of the first quarter. It was right about there. That looks yeah. like the mouthpiece of Joe Burrow hanging out on the field. That's what I feel like it's going to end up being. <laughs> so you got the Bengals winning then? Yeah, pretty much. That's that sounds about right. <laughs> Yeah, so we're going to have strewn body parts of Joe Burrow all over the ground, Aaron Donald covered in his blood, and the Bengals win. Yeah, Bengals Bengals win by five, probably. No, Bengals win by three. Bengals win by three. I was going to go with Yeah, Bengals, Bengals win by three. Bengals win by three. Money Mac. It's going to be good time. <laughs> It's so funny. It's he's going so... to whisper to, to Joe's left arm, which is still on the ground, we're going to win the Super Bowl. Think <laughs> about the amazing kickers. Of the past, like, 20 years, it's like Vinatieri, Patriots and Colts, Tucker ends up on Baltimore, Butker on the Chiefs. This guy's on the goddamn Bengals, and he's going to spend a decade on the goddamn Bengals, and they're just going to have amazing kicker play and losing and, in wild card rounds every year. And, and the Bengals got shit for drafting him. Money Mac. Money Mac. Well, because think about all the people who do draft kickers, and they're just not good. Like... It's only every now and then that the amazing kicker comes into our lives. And then every now and then the amazing kicker looks like Rodrigo Blankenship. And we're just like, there's no way he can be a great kicker, right? <laughs> I seen Rodrigo Blankenship. I think it was maybe the playoff, college football playoff on the sideline. And um, he had leveled up his swag, Rodrigo. <laughs> And I appreciated that. That was during the national championship because he took a photo with Quavo. Yeah, with Quavo, yeah. And I was like, oh, all right. This guy had like red Jordans on. Yeah, exactly the photo. Yeah, I was like, yeah, you go, Rodrigo. Yeah, man's got swag. No one named Rodrigo Blankenship has swag. And then here I am questioning the whole thing. I was like, fuck yeah. If your last name is Blankenship, what are you doing for a living? <laughs> Selling pharmaceuticals. <laughs> That's great. Because the only other Blankenship I know is the guy from the Curse of Oak Island. I don't know what he does, but he's just Dan Blankenship. Um I don't think we're making very many of those anymore. Again, I know it's a last name, but... There's not a lot of Blankenships anywhere out there. <laughs> Kenny Blankenship was on a show that I really liked growing up. <laughs> was... See, exactly. We're not making him anymore. That was, what, 30 um... years ago? <laughs> <laughs> and it was on Spike TV. <laughs> and it was like a, a Japanese game show called Takeshi's Castle. And they <laughs> they just, like, dubbed over the top of it. <laughs> it was called MXC. And they yeah they dubbed English commentary over the top of this Japanese game show, and it was just <laughs> the best. And Kenny Blankenship was one, of, was one of the characters. He was one of the I can, one of the commentators. It was just amazing. I can say with a hundred percent certainty, I have never ever once watched Spike TV. Oh, it was on. Oh, I, I that's what was on there. It was on MTV here. Um, <laughs> it was very funny. Uh, it's fantastic. Um, yeah, you can go play anyway, spike ball now. I appreciate the little bit of time it's not that you gave us here. Spike ball. It's called. Oh, netball. that's right. Um, um, so Ash Barty won the Australian Open. Like I said, she would. Mm-hmm. You did say that. Hashtag Barty party. And Barty someone party. said Barty. Stu got said it on weekend observations. I was like, it's my joke. And you, you clowned it's, me for it. It's, it's not your joke. It's B 
been a thing for five years. You didn't oh. make it up. It's <laughs> Yeah, no, it's not your joke. <laughs> the Barney well, Party is, is what follows Ash around. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so Ash, Ash won. It was great. The night before, no, that, oh, no, later that night, Kyrgios and Kokonakis won the doubles. And then Nadal beat Medvedev in a good versus evil, amazing marathon that left Australians everywhere sleepless on Monday. But it was worth Oh, that's right, because they do it in prime time in Australia. But prime it's like eight in the time. morning on the West on America. <laughs> yeah. So it was really interesting to watch Twitter wake up and start watching this game when it was like 1 a.m. and we were just like dying, trying not to sleep. <laughs> I heard it was great. I heard it, it I was heard it was it was epic. Epic. He like he was he was down and out and like the man just knows how to fight. Like of of the three that three titans of the sport in him, Novak and Federer, he's probably not not the number one most talented, but he fights like nobody I've seen. In so that he's game. Joe Burrow. So just Joe Burrow. No, 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 Like he, he's amazing. He's not the most talented. He's not the, not the greatest, but he just fights and he wins. So just the like, same. A man just will not be defeated. He won't, will not be defeated by the wedge he has in his ass. Like I've never seen a human sweat so much in my life. He was, he was saturated. And to the point where he couldn't put the tennis balls in his pocket because he was so wet and dripping that the balls were then dripping wet. Like Labor. It, it was, he was gross. The amount of shirts he swapped out of was just insane. But he was incredible. It was a great final and epic, definitely a top five. So it's good to watch. Yeah. Tune yeah. in next week to find out. Whether what the most important thing the Bengals have to do to beat the Rams is no, for more the Rams from Australia. The Rams. The Rams. 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 Rams.